Chapter Thirty Eight of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter Thirty Eight. Lucinda is again an inspiration. Slowly, by devious roads, the king and his guard won back to Oxford. Thither, difficultly, came a thousand or two of desperate broken men, and while after the bulk of Rupert's horse, Sir Thomas Fairfax concentrated upon Thame and made ready for a siege. Save in the very clash of battle, he was always leisurely. In truth, there was little need to haste. The war was fought and lost, the end was sure. Only a few ingenious minds, like my Lord Digby, could think other. And no men ever called Sir Thomas Fairfax ingenious. Colonel Royston was in a thriving way. He came out of the battle with no small repute, and from the pursuit with no small fortune. He had a croat's nose for plunder. The royalists had bled the Midland towns white, and Colonel Royston took the profit of it. But he came back to win small thanks of Lucinda. She endured him, and she made him suffer. He could always conquer her in a storm of passion. She could always make him smart with her content. Ha, madam wife, do I not content you? He cried as he held her white in his arms. What is there in you to content a woman? She panted. That was the key of their marriage. If it be victory... To make a man despise himself, Lucinda conquered. In his heart he knew that he had sold himself cheap. He had given honor and the quiet mind for a gust of pleasure like a weak girl. But that was the lesser pain. It irked him most that he could not subdue her, that he could not make her do him service or respect. She dared treat him as a man of no manhood and she could have done nothing to sting his fierce heart more keenly, but she got little joy of it. She was not, indeed, of the woman who can feel shame. Her will, her passion of self was too strong for her to convict herself of any evil. She could have sunk to the coarser sins and known no remorse. Her desires even held her absolved, but she had failed of the keenest passion of her life and ignored her still at her heart. To the end, I think she loved Colonel Stow after her fashion. When she was crushed helplessly in Royston's arm, all her being ached and throbbed for that first lost caress. She, too, had her reward. It was a thunderous July afternoon that Royston strode into their lodging in Thame with a, well, wife, and that was the name that hurt her the most, I am the lieutenant general's dear brother in Christ. And that is all you are like to be, said Lucinda. What more of a husband could you want? I wonder what lies I could have, she laughed. You take your blunder with an ill grace, madam wife. Oh, content you. I like to be your mirror. You writhe when you see yourself. It is only then that you please me. Royston broke an oath at her. By God, what I am you have made me. She leaned her chin on her hand and looked at him with steady, scornful eyes. And what more do you want, he cried. You came to me greedy with desire. You have had your fill of that. You lack nothing of rich eating and soft lying. They are my jewels on your bosom. 
you have no soul for more what more are you worth she laughed oh i knew you were brute when i ventured with you but i thought you brute enough to be a master of others and what are you bah there is no force in you you are of the herd that follows the bellwether you are but one of a score of cropiered canting knaves a common thing to be tossed aside when war is done i am not so easily set aside madam said royston glowering at her you should know that and mark you there be scarce two men in this army can hope for a better than i fairfax is a spent shot a good drill master a good squadron captain no more the man with a grip is the lieutenant-general and his day is dawning now there is but ireland stands as well with him as i oh yes you were born for an underling cried lucinda good fellow ambition no more and you shall attend royston glowered at her and she laughed he strode to her and gripped her shoulder in his dark hand she looked up at him with steady eyes but the laugh froze on her lips he snatched her from her chair and crushed her to his breast by heaven he said thickly if i am an underling you shall be lower still he held her so till she was fighting for breath then set her roughly down and strode out she heard the harsh ring of his laugh so they lived it was some while later when the army was ready to close upon oxford that a stranger came to her in the twilight he was peacefully attired like a comfortable trader but he had something of a swagger lucinda saw a dark lean scarred face ha madam weston said he lightly to-day to thee to-morrow to me you mistake me sir said lucinda coldly not i madam i am of your own tribe a bird of prey you are an insolent sir and she rose oh madam do me reason i would make you phrases if i despise you i think you are strong enough for the truth she hesitated and was lost what do you want of me sir colonel strozzi sat down at his ease what do you want most in the world i'll give it to you at a price lucinda laughs so will the devil they say strozzi sells cheaper and what is your price sir your bellamy colonel royston lucinda looked at him curiously i think you cannot know sir that i am colonel royston's wife oh has he married you said strozzi with a plain surprise i suppose they have prejudices here he looked at her with a grim smile which most requires my sympathy madam you are impotent sir it is not my profession to be decent madam well though you are his wife i can believe you command him he looked her lift form over with an insolent appraising eye and laughed that is all i want and what do you want from him colonel stasi smiled and tapped his teeth i can pay he said nor will not quarrel for the figure either oh you are vague as grant Toro in the romance a woman of your habit might drink deep of life for five thousand pounds he watched her keenly but she laughed and a man of your habit sell himself for a tester what then why madam your virtuous husband is trusted so he is worth a price he commands the dragooners and they have the outpost his price you may say is doubled oh i am frank with you tapping his teeth again he watched her from under his level eyebrows 
Then go on, said Lucinda, her eyes glistening, a smile on her lips. Strozzi considered some while first. My dear, if you were a man, I might be afraid of you. Believe me, you have more reason now, Lucinda laughed. Not a whit, pretty one. A woman is cheap steel. You cannot bear the edge of a man. You go to Flinders at a hard parry. Try. I do not need. Your profit is with me, and you will know it. He laughed. Faith, what a team we have made together, you and I. Fit for the devil's own driving. Oh, sir, you do me too much honor. Nor he nor another drives me. Strassi grinned. I could try my own hand for a crown, but this is woman's folly. To my affair now. Madam, the army of yours has two good generals. We could do well without them. There must be times when they meet together all night for a council. All we want of your bel ami is to let a company of honest men through his outpost, and it is worth ah, uh, it is worth a five thousand pound. Then it is not worth while, said Lucinda. It is not? Think of it. Colonel Strozzi rose. I will wait on you in the morning. You need a night to work on my dear Royston. I kiss your hand and your feet. And he was gone. Lucinda sat in the deepening dark, curled together thinking. Colonel Strozzi did her wrong. Her mind outmatched his. Royston came in with a clatter and shouted for lights. She stirred in her chair. What, wife? He groped for her gave her a careless kiss and felt her lips answer how now here is tender devotion have you the vapors madam i think you are a bore in grain and yet good lack i like you i know it is my chief shame ha the candles came and they were both dazzled we are creatures of darkness madam wife she laughed i'll lighten yours sir and she started up and stood her hands behind her leaning a little towards him a vivid temptation royston folded his arms do you think i was made to fall no i was she said softly and softly stole to him and put her arms around his great strength and nestled against him what do you want said royston roughly you she whispered and laughed yes you as you will be Oh, I have ached that you should rest one of the herd, but the chance has come now. Great things. Ah, I have trusted you with all I am, is it not? Her fingers closed nervously on his. Prithee, madam, be less romantic. Oh, I can be clear as your head, so, sir. She thrust him daintily back to a chair and set herself over against him. Admire me. I never engaged to that. The more pleasure to make you. Well, I have had a visitor. I am not jealous, madam. A fascinating fellow, one strozzi. Colonel Royston straightened his back. He had the good taste to want you, sir. Royston laughed. Faith, madam, you are too prolific. One treason may pay. Twins never did. Have I spoken of treason? You spoke of Trozzi. He has corrupted half Europe and would corrupt you too if it were not done already. By heaven, madam, if you have mixed my name in any disloyalty, I will denounce you like a common spy. Oh, sir, I was sure of your affection. Nevertheless, you'll hear me out. He had amused me, your friend Strozzi. Royston shrugged. Birds of a feather. You know me better than that, and she laughed. I am something more than Colonel Strozzi. 
I think we may surprise him, you and I. Go on with your surprises, madam. Why, sir, he talked of a five thousand, and I think he could come to more than that. Colonel Rawston put up his eyebrows. Money was four times more worth then than now. It was in his nature to love it for its own sake as well as for power. This is some notable villainy, said, and she watched his eyes. I do not know if I saw it all the way, said Lucinda slowly, but I am not sure it is your profit to serve him. What? Madame Lucinda virtuous? Oh, sir, Madame Lucinda is not a fool. Hark you, then. Here is his offer. On a night when the general holds counsel, make it safe for a party to come through the outputs and slay him for which he will pay his five thousand pounds, or more, as he thinks. I had not thought it worth so much. Strozzi would not show you his whole hand, my dear, said Royston with a laugh, and chin on hand meditated. Huh, could be no great mystery. With Cromwell and old Skippon down, we should make an ill show against a strong commissado, and the king has men enough to make one still. We stamped his footman out at Nasby, but the best of his horse won away. That will be the design. Strozzi and a batch of bravos put the general down. Then Rupert breaks his horse on us. By God, we should be rabble. He would ride over us. Is it worth a five thousand pounds, said Lucinda quietly. Royston, staring at her, rose heavily and began to pace the room. She watched him close and keen. She misprized him, as Strozzi had misprized her. He saw the whole chance of the affair in a moment. With the five thousand, and there might be more in it with care, he could make a brave figure in half a score of countries. The thing was easy enough to do. He could manage it so that there should be no suspicion of him. Was it ugly? Was it too dirty for a soldier? Aye, a year ago he could have answered that. Lucinda heard him laugh. It seems a little late for foibles. He had been false to the only clean affection of his life. He had no more pride and honor. He had nothing left to follow but greed. And for what men said, why, Walter Butler, Judas of the man that made him, ruffled it with the best at Vienna. So then, suppose it done, and Rupert's horsemen driving the Puritans like sheep, what remained for Colonel Royston in the rout? He had seen too much. He knew men too well to believe the war might be ended so. One night of murder would not tame the Puritan temper. The struggle would go on even through despair, in the wild turmoil of it. What a chance for a man who could lead. Nay, he checked suddenly. He saw the vivid light in Lucinda's eyes that dwelt on him. He strode to her and laid a rough hand on her shoulder. Madam wife, what was your design? I had thought your Stasi may serve us. I, you would be of the devil's side. How? By cheating himself, sir, said Lucinda and laughed. Oh, you are not very clever, you soldiers. Shall I ever make you great, I wonder? I, in hell, speak out. Why then, her voice was low and happy. Her eyes shone delight. Let Colonel Strozzi come and kill. What hinders for you to come down on Colonel Strozzi? The generals are slain but you have avenged them. There is an attack, but you have beat it off. You are left the best general in all the army, and you with fame and power and something of money withal. Sure, sir, this Stasi is a kindly gentleman, 
and you are the devil's daughter, said Royston with a grim smile. Then he rested his head on his hand and stared at the ground, and she heard him muttering, Do him justice. It was not the design for a man of a little soul. There was something of devilish courage in it and the confidence of the strong. By the tolerant ethic of his day and his trade, the thing was less vile far than to this nice age of peace. It was traitorous, even to him, but at least there was nothing mean in it. He kept no retreat for himself. He set his own life on the edge of danger. But for that, the thing had hardly allured him. It was no safe, no easy task to manage the murder and the neat slaughter of the murderers, to grip the army in an hour of panic and make order and break Rupert's charge. Royston knew all the danger of it better than any man now. Even the affair of Eager, when on the windy February night the Irish made an end of Wallenstein, was hardly more perilous, and he had much to lose. If he bade Strozzi go hang, if he stood faithful to his general, he had a notable place sure. Not first indeed, while Cromwell lived, he knew well enough. He had no chance of that, whether the man was hypocrite or honest fanatic, and Royston had moments of doubt. He could commend himself to the Puritans like no other. There was Ireton, too. Royston's eager temper and that keen, silent mind paid each other an equal tribute of distrust. Still, he could win and keep a place not far below the first. It was no small thing in a land where the army must rule. He staked all that and life besides on the chance of a chance. But if he won, it might be hard to snatch the mastery of that army. But if he hadn't, no man could set him aside. The Puritans liked him well. He could be a savory member with the best. They would follow him through death, that army. What a tool for a strong hand. The staunch yeoman breed, wrought with discipline, edged with fanatic faith, the yellow coats of Gustavus were no better. He would speedily make an end of that fool's war. He had as good an eye as Cromwell's for a fight and for Cromwell's rashness and waste of men, a long apprenticeship in arms. Soon the army must be master of all England, and if he ruled the army, what end? What end to power? He brushed his hand across his eyes. He rose and strode across the room and looked out at the dark for a long while. Then he turned to Lucinda. When is Strozzi to come again, child? Lucinda ran to him laughing. She caught his hand. She leaned toward him, giving all herself. You are alive. You are alive. Royston looked down at the eager face that strained up to him. With a sudden passionate force, he caught her in his arms, crushing her on his breast, lifting her, holding her to his will. And she clung to him, and her lips were hungry. They had their hour. So in the morning, when Strozzi came, he found Lucinda ready to haggle. She did it well. Strozzi confidented to pay three thousand pounds before the thing was done and four thousand after. She got a ruby coronet besides. She was very well content. It occurred to his Lombard mind that the first three thousand were all he would ever pay, and Lucinda was of just the same opinion. Strozzi went off to a quiet tavern by Crendon, and there Colonel Royston met him and made a plan. Royston came back to his lodgings, well content 
and lifted her out of her chair to be kissed. Oh, you are greedy, she said, resisting a little. Why, Madam Wife has made a good bargain. She must get guerdon for it. So? So? Lucinda turned her head for his greedy kisses. Listless. There was a shadow in her eyes. His rude desire made her remember dead hopes and joys of waking maidenhood. A good bargain, has she not, said Royston? End of chapter 38 Recording by Gary Ullman, West Palm Beach, Florida